Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. Before I start this morning in my message, I just got to get something off of my chest. The other day, we ordered some food for curbside pickup. And we all got into the car, and of course, as we take off down the road, we get behind the slowest possible driver ever. It's so annoying. And then we stop at that stoplight, you know the one I'm talking about, that stays red forever. Finally, we get to the restaurant, and they're not bringing out our order. We're waiting there for 15 minutes. Finally, they bring it out, and of course, it's wrong, so we have to send it back and wait another 15 minutes. I couldn't believe it. So you better believe I skimped on the tip. Complaining. It's basically a national pastime in the United States, isn't it? We live in one of the most cynical societies ever where we complain about everything from long lines to interruptions to talkative people, rude people, high prices, our sports teams, our jobs, traffic jams, politicians, inconsiderate drivers, and crying babies. You name it. We complain about it. Now, there are some things that we should be complaining about, right? Things like injustices and other things like that. But what we're talking about is just this daily complaining that pervades over our lives. Now, if you think about that, that really makes no sense. Today, we live in by far the most prosperous culture in the history of humanity. Except for the very poor, people in America mostly have all that they need. And the truth is, most of us have all that we want as well. And yet, the more and more that we get, the more and more unsatisfied we are. It's interesting to me how that works, right? The more that I have, the more likely I am to complain about what I don't have, the more discontent I am. But the interesting thing about complaining is we don't really see it as a very serious thing. It doesn't get much attention. Nobody ever goes to their counselor and says, help me, doc. I've got a serious problem with complaining. Nor are there complainers anonymous meetings for us to go to. This is certainly not because of a lack of people who suffer from this problem, though, including me. Perhaps we assume that since all of us do it so often, complaining really isn't that serious. It can't be that bad. But this morning, As we continue our series in the Old Testament book of Numbers, a series we've called Life in the Wilderness, if you're following on your notes, complaining is a serious matter to God and derails our journey. While we may not take it seriously in our lives, God sure does. Because as he knows, as our series sentence says, complaining is something that can derail us, keep us off the path to live with courage and faithfulness through this world, through the times of wilderness in our lives. And so let's look at a lesson the Israelites learned about complaining. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now this chapter actually starts with a really quick story. Think of it kind of as a preview for what we're going to read in the verses ahead. We're just going to look first, though, at verses 1 through 3. So look at verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. A more literal translation would go something like this. The people became murmurous and made offense to Yahweh's ears. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. 
I want you to notice that it was on the outskirts of the camp, perhaps where no people were, but for sure it was meant to be a warning about the serious nature of complaining. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. This is a very important interaction to notice, especially for the next section. Moses served as the mediator between the Lord and the people. It was his obligation. It was his duty to intercede on their behalf. This is what Jesus now does for us. We no longer need a mediator. We can go straight to Jesus. Because the, so that place was called Taborah which means burning, by the way, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. So you would think after this, the people would get the message. But this is followed by another, even more serious attack on God's provision and mercy. I don't know how long the gap was between these two, these two stories, but what I do know is that their memories were pretty short. Look at verse 4. The rabble with them, and that term rabble refers to the non-Israelites who had joined them on their journey from freedom for freedom, began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Now, friends, what makes this response by the Israelites so incredible is if you had read up to this point in the story, you would have seen God displaying his goodness and faithfulness to them over and over and over again. Every need that they had, he met them along the way. And so this response is really the height of ingratitude. Would you read verse 10 out loud with me there on your notes? It says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. Now, as you read that story, maybe you became a little sorry for the Israelites and their diet. But as we see right here, certainly Moses and the Lord do not feel sorry for them. They have everything that they need. So let's look at what happens starting in verse 11. Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Whoa, this is from the same guy who once pleaded God to save the Israelites after they had built that golden calf to worship just days after he had freed them from slavery. At this point, God tells Moses, I will relieve your burden and provide other leaders to help you lead these people. That whole conversation could be another message about the importance of collaborative leadership, but we're focusing here on the story of complaining. So let's pick it up again in verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. 
You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Now I want you to skip down to verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibaroth Hathava, which means graves of lust, because they were buried there. There they buried the people who had craved or lusted other food. Friends, in this story, I notice four problems with complaining that we need to pay attention to on our own journey through this world. The first one, and by far the most important one, if you're on your notes, is that the Lord hears our complaining and it is offensive to him. The divine king does not take kindly to the rejection of his heavenly provision that he provides for the people daily. We're told ominously he becomes exceedingly angry. Friends, what this shows me is while we may not take complaining as a serious sin, the Lord sees it differently. Why does he take it so seriously? I want to get into that later in this message. The second problem I noticed, if you're on your notes, is that our complaining spreads to others like a disease. Remember in verse 4 where the complaining starts. It says the rabble or the, the outsiders were the ones who began complaining, but it doesn't take long for the Israelites to catch on. They begin complaining as well. And then so contagious of a sin is complaining. Even Moses is caught up into it. And I want you to notice in those five verses we read about his complaining, where the focus is. In the original Hebrew, in those five verses, Moses refers to himself no less than 20 times. This is not coincidental. Complaining takes our focus off of others, takes our focus off the Lord, and puts it on me, myself, and I. And sadly, Instead of taking his burden directly to the Lord and asking for strength, he begins to grumble about it. Instead of playing the role he was called to be as a mediator between God and the people, he just wants to be done with them. Now, I think we can all see the contagiousness of complaining in our own lives. I notice it in my family, especially with my kids. I might hear my son say something I just bristle at, like, where did that come from? And I realize, oh, I just said that yesterday. Complaining is a contagious disease. The third problem I noticed about complaining from this text is that it distorts our view of the past and present. It distorts our view of the past and present. Now notice the difference between the complaining in verses 1 through 3 and what we read here, right? In verses 1 through 3, they're complaining about the hardships of the wilderness. But in our text, they add a whole other dimension. They're complaining about how good they had it in Egypt with all that fish and with all those vegetables. 
Now question for you. Do you really think being a slave in Egypt was as good as they remember it to be? Do you really think their lives were that great? No, not only is their memory of the past flawed, so is their perspective on the present. We might paraphrase their grumbling something like this. If I see one more piece of manna, I think I'm going to be sick. Manna, manna, manna. That's all we ever eat anymore. Can't we have some other kind of food, please? And again, lest we be deceived and have sympathy for them, the narrator takes some time to challenge each of their complaints. First, he points out the fact that the manna wasn't unattractive or boring. On the contrary, it was beautiful. It was like a rare gem. Second, the Israelites didn't have to pay for the manna. It came down every morning along with the dew, free of charge. Third, it wasn't boring. Manna could be prepared in a variety of ways. In fact, in some translations, we're told it was sort of like a a pastry. And fourth, most importantly, do not forget this. This manna would only be for a time. They were journeying to the promised land. But isn't that what complaining always does? It distorts our vision of the past and present. It reimagines the past as this golden land. It despises the good gifts that God has surrounded us with in the present, and it completely ignores, most importantly, his promises for the future. In reality, though, our past was definitely not as rosy as we seem to remember it to be, and our present isn't as bleak as we make it out to be, especially for those of us who know. This world is not our home. The fourth problem I noticed is that complaining creates a spirit of lusting for more. Now, I know when you typically hear the word lust, we associate it immediately with sex, but really, this word lust can have to do with anything that we have an uncontrolled appetite or desire for. This is why God basically says, you want meat? fine, I'm going to give you so much meat, you're going to be sick of it. And that's what lust does. It can never be satisfied. We always have to crave more and more and more. And so on the one hand, God gives these complainers exactly what they asked for. God gave them meat, more meat than they thought was humanly possible. In fact, Moses couldn't even believe that this could be done. And God says, my arm is not too short to provide for my people. He simply sends a powerful wind that drives in flocks and flocks. We're talking tons of quail available for the people. This, by the way, is still something that happens, not to this degree, but it's still something that happens in this area of the world today. But the main part here is the people got what they wanted. And yet at this amazing act of God's power and demonstration, what we see is it becomes a curse, not a blessing. That's just like lust. Even while they were taking their first bites of their longed-for meat, the Lord's anger burns against his people, and he strikes them down for craving for meat. Understand that word to crave leads to the name of the location where they named this place called Kibarath Hatava, which means graves of craving. Now, I just want to ask you, is it too strong to suggest that God deals with some people the same way today? He apparently gives some people everything they could possibly want or desire, fame, wealth, health, a life of ease. But do those things ever satisfy? Or do we keep craving for more and more and more? 
Here's the scary thing about all of this. If you're on your notes, complain enough and God may just give you what you want. Romans 1, Paul talks about this, probably one of the most sobering passages in the Bible. It essentially says that if we lust and lust after more, quote, God will give us over to those things. He will give us what we want. If we turn our back on God again and again and again, God will give us what we want. That is serious business. And this passage reveals complaining is serious. And it can have serious consequences. Now, I want, of course, to come back to that question, why? I mean, why is complaining considered such a big deal to God? And here's why, if you're on your notes. The heart of complaining is unbelief. Complaining is the opposite of faith. Verse 20 was really the key verse to understanding this. Let's read it out loud together from the New Living Translation. It says, For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? The main issue in this text, of course, it's not about the meat for God. God explains to Moses what the real issue is here. He said the people have rejected him. Israel's rejection of God's provision was a failure to the test of faith. In fact, God had told the Israelites in Exodus 16 that this manna was going to be a test of their obedience. In this passage, we saw they failed. They, the people have allowed themselves to think back to the glorious times they had in slavery, and they viewed it as better than the present time. In view of the good things the Lord was to give them when they reached the promised land, The people on the journey were simply to receive God's daily gift of manna as a gift of grace and as a gift of mercy, but they spurned the manna. And therefore they rejected him and his mercy and his love for them. Listen, because here's the key. Yes, there were no fish or vegetables in the wilderness, but friends, the focus of their faith should have been that they had anything to eat at all in the wilderness. God had provided for them, and it solely was by his mercy. But isn't it true that freedom opens up the opportunity for more complaining? I talked about that in the introduction for those of us who live in this country. But just think about it. If the ancient Israelites had stopped and just thought about it for a moment, they would have said, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're complaining? We would, have, would we ever have done that in Egypt? Of course not. Why? Because we were under the yoke of slavery. We were scared. They were even killing our baby boys. But now the fact that we are free allows us the chance to complain. Friends, isn't their freedom worth the temporary price of some dietary boredom? It reminds me of a story of a Russian Jew who was allowed to emigrate to Israel during the Soviet period. This was a really rare occurrence. When he landed at Ben-Gurion Airport, a reporter met him. And his first question to him was, how was life in Russia? The immigrant immigrant replied, I do not complain. Another question ensued, how was the housing situation in Russia? I do not complain. What were the working conditions like in Russia? I do not complain. Exasperated, the reporter demanded, if you don't complain about life in Russia, why did you come to Israel? And the Russian retorted, because in Israel, I can complain. Isn't that the truth? The more we have, the more freedom we have, the more stuff we have, the more likely 
we are to complain. Unbelief works itself out in complaining, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. Faith, on the other hand, if you're on your notes, believes God's promises are certain no matter what. No matter what we face, no matter how hard our wilderness, faith believes God's promises are certain. Friends, here's what I believe with all my heart if you're falling on your notes. A complaining attitude will lead to a spiritual wilderness. When we choose to complain, and it is a choice, we move further and further away from the joy that we can have in the person of Christ. Please tell me that's not true for your life. I know it's true for mine. When I find myself starting to complain, what immediately happens is my attitude starts to darken. I become more angry and negative and cynical and argumentative. Complaining takes me off the path that God has for me on my journey and puts me on a path that is not good. And so how do we make sure we avoid complaining in our lives? The apostle Paul, who probably had one of the hardest journeys a follower of Jesus could ever have in the wilderness, had an answer to this question in Philippians chapter four. Let's read it out loud together on our notes. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, as much as we like to use that last part of the verse for sporting events, the truth is, it's not really what it's about. It has more to do with how we can walk through our times of wilderness in life. And if you're following The cure to complaining is contentment. That is the secret that Paul learned. If you haven't already, you gotta know every single person in this world will experience a measure of adversity. They will experience a time of wilderness. For some of you, it's a health situation. For others, it's a struggling career. For others, it's past family hurts that you just can't break free of. The list is endless. I could talk to every single one of you and each of you could tell me the cross that you have to bear in your life. And here's what we need to know about that. That's the thing that God doesn't want us to complain about. Now, don't get me wrong. You can read in the Psalms, people complaining directly to God, bringing their burdens to him, but that's something he invites us to do. What he doesn't want us to do is to complain about it in our own lives to others. Now, I know that's really hard, trust me. And I'm not making light of the burden you carry, but listen to me. You are forfeiting the grace and joy that could help you through that trial by complaining about it. Instead of potentially embracing it like Paul did as a messenger from God to keep us humble and to keep us close to him. God hears our complaining about something that he has allowed in our lives and it grates on his ears because as we just learned, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, even face that trial. So if you're following on your notes, the secret to contentment is trusting God's promises. God's promises to us that we can do all things through Christ Jesus, that he never allows something in our lives that we can't bear with his help, his promise that this world is not our home and that he will one day lead us to a place where we are free of all the things we find ourselves complaining about today. 
You see, a life of courage and faith is not fixed on the past nor on the present. It is fixed on the future, on the glorious things that God has promised his people. That is where solid and lasting contentment and joy come from, unaffected by the circumstances in which we find ourselves today. I mean, let's really just imagine that Egypt was as good as the Israelites made it out to be, that They had all the food that they wanted. And let's also imagine that the manna was terrible. Here's what I would say about that. So what? So what? The Israelites failed to remember that they were only camping out on the way to the land that God had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey. The wilderness was not to be their home. Do I need to connect that for us? This world was not meant to be our home. We are simply passing through as strangers. We are citizens of heaven. That is how faith conquers our temptation to complain. Faith laughs over short rations and hardships because it remembers that the present is all not all there is. These present difficulties will only make the final rest all the sweeter. The tougher the climb, the sweeter the rest at the top of the mountain. The more limited the food at the campsite, the better the steak tastes at the end of the journey. I know all of you have experienced something like that. When I was in college, we used to go serve in one of the poorest areas in Mexico over spring break. I'm talking all we had to eat were beans and rice for the entire week. And I'll always remember, once we crossed back the border, our first stop was In-N-Out Burger. And I got to tell you, I had never had a better hamburger than I had that day. I've had in and out plenty of times, but none tasted as good as that one. And faith remembers we have that looking forward for us. When our eyes are fixed on future glories, our present trials and circumstance not only become bearable, but ultimately inconsequential. Faith is what conquers complaining and leads us to a life of joy and contentment. As we get ready to take communion, let me just end with this thought for you. I once heard somebody ask, if God never did anything else for you, if he never answered another prayer or never sent another blessing your way, can you say today that you could still not pay him back, even in a thousand lifetimes, for all that he has already done for you? God has taken care of the end of the story, hasn't he? No matter what we face on earth, he has opened up the promised land for his people through the Passover sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. What else? What else could we ask for? If my God has loved me that much and has paid the ultimate price to redeem me from my slavery to sin and death, how can I complain about the things he provides along my journey? How can I bemoan about my insufficiencies, about my wildernesses, about my hardships, about my circumstances. When Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death for me, God has been so faithful and so good and so kind to us. And so listen, when a spirit of complaining rises up within us, if you're on your notes, looking to the cross will remind us of God's faithfulness. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus who went through the wilderness so that you would not have to. This will surely cure our temptation to complain and lead us back to the path of courage and faithfulness towards our journey home. Friends, I don't know about you, 
but I really needed this reminder today. And I hope it has hit you as deep as it has hit me. And I hope along with me that we will continue to journey together in this wilderness with joy and thanksgiving, with courage and faithfulness because God is leading us home. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.